this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 83, and our book is The Wraithbone Phoenix by Alec Worley. The book tells the continuing adventures of Bagot and Claude as they go on an epic heist for a magical MacGuffin in Varangantua. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or in Encrypted Vox channel. That's tongue twister tonight, apparently. Spoiler warning. If you have not yet read this book, definitely check out the book and the questions before coming back to this post, because we're going to go through this thing in great detail, and you'd be doing yourself a disservice to listen to this before reading it. It's true. With that, let's dive in. As always, did you like the book? Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I like a good heist story. Heists are my jam. Um... And this was the Maltese Falcon meets Lockstock and Two Smeroking Barrels meets the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, that was what I needed in my life. I've never seen the Maltese Falcon. Love that one. Um, but the Wraithbone Phoenix itself, like obviously the not just being like a bird statue, uh, shares some similarity with the story of the background of the Maltese Falcon. Um, but just super, that was about, that's about where the the similarity scene. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You're not missing a whole lot there. Yeah. Um, but no, this was this is exactly what I needed. Um, I really like that his style from his audio dramas, because you did listen to the audio drama, correct? Mm -hmm. I Which like I'm glad I did, because I could only... I, I was reading Baggett and that voice actor's voice. Oh my god, yes, and Claude. Oh yeah. Um, but also... Um, I just like that he carried over the style. It's very dialogue heavy. And um, with just the little like the little quips interspersed from the um, Imperial Doctrine ads, as it were. Um, one of my favorite ones is when they were talking about like how there has not been an increase in crime because crime is forbidden. Therefore, it doesn't exist. I did chuckle out loud at that one. Oh, my God. And then it felt a little too close to home. And I got sad and then kept on reading. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but I thought that was, I thought those were just delightful. I think the other one was like, you know, this is like, it was a test. It was not what it really was. And if anyone tells you differently, you need to report them <laughs> for oh heresy. Oh my God. Like, oh, oh dear Lord. Those were all super fun. Um, and just a really fun addition. I also did like how they kind of establish um, Fortunata Gallo's proclivities, mm -hmm. <laughs> her evening activities, with all like the little autopsy reports and stuff, just kind of gradually leading you to realize that this monster that's been hunting through Varangantua is this lady. Right. Loved her. Um, what part stood out to you? I just flipped open this part and I... It's the one where it's like you've been uh, recruited. It's like, should your tithe officer not have had time to explain? Your formal your former habitation is now property of the city and your belongings shall be either confiscated or purged. Rest assured, any living dependents with whom you co cohabited will be officially notified of your blessed commission. They shall be grateful for your service in whatever course they choose to follow without you. I absolutely loved. God. <laughs> I loved how dry all of that stuff was and just 
very on point, very Imperium. I mean, did any of that strike you as not being exactly what you expected? You know, <laughs> um, honestly, I have to admit, so I never thought about, you know, um, how the Imperium would, like, deliver news or, you know, do the there's nothing to see here thing until uh, listening to Dredge Runners. And I laughed my ass off, like, every single time that they brought up something, like, especially at the very end when they had they said that there was a servo skull that got the probator's final moments and i was just like oh oh gosh like is this where the jig is up and then you hear this obvious actress it's like okay <laughs> wow right all right it's like but here's the propaganda. thing but then i mean you start thinking like okay so they get her to record that so now she knows it's all a lie do they kill her afterwards because i, I mean yeah so um, no, Unless probably she's part of, like propaganda. They have like a male and a female. <laughs> I guess lean in as voice actors. Uh, I guess, but uh, no, I think the part that stood out to me the most, honestly, was um, Claude's analysis of of the painting in the main chamber. Oh my god, that a lot of his stuff when he talks about like. All of his, I loved when he's talking with Roz and he's just like, see, I have this theory. Baggett's always too busy to listen to it. And she's like, all right, hit me, big guy. I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> um, but yes, when he starts describing the painting and it's his internal monologue and then all of a sudden he's just like, that's eh, just kind of pretty though. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, just in the random things, like these really deep insights that he would have. And he'd be like, it just really makes me mad that I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> Oh my god, that actually made me sad when he's talking with Roz and he's just like, yeah, sometimes make me a little frustrated that I'm as big of an idiot as I am. Like, oh man, it made me, and this is going to be like, not to kill the mood, but it makes me think of like, um, so if you've ever known anybody dealing with dementia, every now and then they get those like flashes of cognizance of like, oh no, I am losing my mind and it's very tragic. But he kind of reminded me of that where he gets like these flashes of brilliance and then these flashes of realization that like, Nope, I do not actually have the mental acumen to be having the thoughts that I'm having right now. And that kind of made me sad for him. But it's also just really funny because it's him. I actually think he's very, very, you know, smart and philosophical. It's just the guy doesn't have social graces or um, common sense. Like when he yells, found it. <laughs> when there's like, oh my God. how many people looking for this artifact? In this void ship, and he just yells, found it. I'm like, dude. <laughs> well, along those lines, I love when he's like, when they're in the car, the truck, and they're getting away, and he's like, you're not going to be angry? And, well, no. And he explains what he did. And, of course, Roz doesn't know what an elder Ari is, so she's like, an elderly what? You got an elderly what? <laughs> Baggett's, like, screaming. It reminded me of that scene in uh, Toy Story. Put that thing, or sorry, Monsters, Inc. Put that thing back where you got me or so help me. <laughs> like, kill it. Kill it now. <laughs> She's just like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it's a Xenos friend. It's a Xenos. And it's not a friendly one either. But I like how he's like, well, you know, it saved me. So I figured I could save it. Like, I do love that Claude is just as violent. He's horribly violent and dangerous. But also pretty good-natured and affable. Yeah, like, like 
like when he like bursts out of that confined space and then when he comes to afterwards he's like oh crap <laughs> right <laughs> like, oh right sorry yes exactly like that um but i do love when of course back it's like why would you rescue the eldari mm, seemed like the thing to do like it's just such a child's explanation right like well, mm-hmm. maybe we can work together maybe it'll just understand and well it kind of <laughs> did in the end kind of did actually in the end um let me ask you this so (laughs) the book is as we said it's kind of like the maltese falcon meets like a guy Ritchie movie reaches pick your poison either lock stock or snatch and um and the lost ark but it's kind of this zany character thing of all these people coming together for essentially a heist right and it's in a hive world did the overall like depth of this theme of this book kind of surprise you this idea of not being able to let go of past wrongs how that can utterly like destroy you because there are like these moments with all of these characters where all of a sudden you're like oh that got really deep and dark randomly in a good way yeah i didn't pick up on that at all oh because like <laughs> so Snatchwick is probably the best example, right? Like literally kills himself because he is so focused on getting revenge, right? And you have the Eldari formerly known as Death. Um she spends her whole life looking for this magical MacGuffin. She's literally given up everything. She's given up her identity. She doesn't even remember who she was really, or if she had people who cared about her to get back this artifact that's crucial to her people which wasn't really crucial if it's been gone for this long um and then it literally kills her in the end and then of course herbo prong fork right his revenge is awful um there's all these little pieces where it's like oh oh this isn't just your mindless heist like this guy actually has something he's saying here which it personally it kind of shocked me because like we got to the end and i was like oh damn son Actually, the point yeah. where Baggett realizes. No, you know, revenge. I feel really, really dumb right now. Um, thanks for that. Um, that no, was not my intention. It just was. Um, maybe I was reading too much into this. I, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that that is in there. I mean, you can always, you know, obviously, that's it's always open to your personal interpretation. Very uh, much so. I could have been reading way too much into it. Now but, I feel now I feel like really dick. Um. No, I mean, not everyone else is probably, pretty, probably every listener is just like, God, Jen's right. What's wrong with you? Did you not read this book right? No, I probably didn't. Um, I don't sleep much these days, so back off, people. Anyway, so, no, um, actually, I was so caught up in, oh, the chaos of all of it. And it how was I, chaotic. How I just kept <laughs> thinking, you know, this was like, you know, you know obviously a lot of, compa- I mean, Without even talking to Jen, I actually had seen a Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I know you guys can all, like, you know, register your shock, but I have actually seen that movie. And that was actually before. I already clutched my pearls. And, uh, like, that was all I could think of during this, which made me like it and yet get annoyed by it at the same time. Because while Lock, Stock, like, when it, the big ending happened, whereas the chaos, when you got all the players... And they all came together doing this one thing, but they 
kind of crossed paths and then when the main when the you know the main the command carriage came in and saw all these dead people like whoa like what the hell happened here like that was really kind of like unusual but back at the time I thought that was neat but I've never seen that movie again because I didn't like it that much it was good but okay and when I have stuff kind of like this crazy it's just I don't know it's like yeah it's entertaining but I didn't really look much deeper than that fair too and i'm totally willing to admit that i probably like read way too much into it um <laughs> i mean but but you make good points i mean yeah i mean because you know with the whole thing with you know herbo like not letting that go to what cost and you know Roz was even yelling at um at baggett like you know the, is this really about herbo or is this about something else that happened in your past and you know um you know scratchwick with with that um mm -hmm. yeah and even even the eldar which even i thought that was just her story i found just to be very weak like it was just okay it just happens to be there like talk about a character that came in it was the most convenient plot device so i mean it was a fun book but if I start to look at it too deeply, I will totally pick this thing apart. Because <laughs> there's a lot of devices in here that just did not work for me. Fair. I I have mixed feelings about the Eldari. I thought um, I thought she was fun. I really did like her. I actually thought Fortunata Gallo was a much better antagonist. And part of it was because I loved her jaunty demeanor. And I didn't understand her. Gallo. Hmm? I was like, what the, what's the point of this character? Besides, like, being I an embodiment like, for everything wrong with the Imperium. I think the, she, to me, was very much a symbol of, and we've kind of moved into our next question here, which is the, we're presented with this motley crew, right, of these ne'er-do-wells and these people who are in it for their own, their own want. She, to me, represented the epitome of the gilded class right of like she has so much money and so much prestige that she has like literally lost her humanity she has um she's had all these pain things right and she tortures people because she thinks it and, but she thinks again not to use like my gray gardens reference that i always go back to when i'm talking about the jukari right like she has become a monster but she thinks she's this educated academic right where she's talking about like i should tell you about my treaties on pain and when you read her like little excerpts from her book they're so pretentious like honey you torture people you're a monster but so she does it all in the name of the imperium she's getting this artifact all in the name of like i guess being an art you know archivist from the imperium so the only thing i could think of like yeah. what her purpose was was to show literally she's the embodiment of everything that is wrong with the Imperium right there. And yes, I chuckled how she was killed. I was like, well, that's just kind of fitting in a way that she never even saw it coming. Right. And totally deserved it. And which is like, again, one of those lock, stock and two smoking barrels moments, right? Where you get all the, the actors who are against one another all happen to be all these actors that have a common enemy and they all end up in the same place and they all end up killing one another. It's kind of entertaining. 
Very much so. And I, the thing that I liked about her, too, is, and this is, and I admit, this is a trope that just speaks near and dear to my heart. I do like when you get this crew, right, of all these different people with all these different motivations. And, like, Baggett. Baggett is your classic uh, hooker with a heart of gold character, mm-hmm. right? He, he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy, um, right? He's, you have all these characters who have all these various motivations, right? Um, Gallo represents that actual evil character who is has no qualms and and i really like uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, cormac mccarthy and that's one of the devices that he always uses in his books is like an a character if you've seen or read no country for old men old men on um, the anton ego character i literally just pulled out a character from um ratatouille that just happened sorry anton chagurn um he uh that character is just an absolute straight up evil character there's no reasoning with him. He's just evil. Um, and they're so rare, right? Like, this is a cast of characters of probably, like, tw- 20 characters. Mm-hmm. She's the only one who's just straight up evil. Just evil to be evil. Even the gilded that Roz worked for, even he was just kind of a sleazebag. Greedy, mm-hmm. arrogant, yes, but not evil. Not like her. And um, the other thing that I did like, and I did notice, is that that character is like i'm trying to go back through my my mind right now and think of an example of when that character was presented to us as female because not even azula from the avatar series is straight up evil in the beginning right um and even at the end i think you can make a strong argument but i can't think of a time that that psychopath character was presented to us as a female really so it's kind of fun that you get to see her and she's just as awful and terrifying as if she had been a male like there's no lump of sugar to her i guess is what i'm saying and i do like to see characters like that every now and then okay emphasis on every now and then <laughs> I, I mean i laughed when baggett bit off her ear that cracked me up i think oh it was mike tyson my God. that was um i especially liked when she's like like, it never even occurred to her that, that you have pain receptors in your ears right so like she had pain receptors everywhere else but she's like oh and um, couldn't have happened to a nicer person. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what what she what she said. Like she said, you know, like something to the effect of like, you know, do you know? Like I don't know. Like she was comparing herself to him. He's like, well, I have two ears. <laughs> it's not even a great comeback, and yet it is a totally great yeah. comeback. Yes, because I mean, it pisses her off. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this this character who has hunted and stalked all these people right and it also did really this also hit on one of the things that i always find interesting about the imperium they need the abhumans right they need them mm-hmm. the ogrens are basically the, actually they are quite literally the um great value adeptus astartes <laughs> we have astartes <laughs> at home ogrens <laughs> um the ratlings are space hobbits uh, but they serve a very vital role, too, right? Especially in the Imperial Guard, as we saw with Baggett, they are typically presented as snipers because they're very little and hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, like, I get it with the psychers. Psychers are a very necessary part, but they're also the warp is dangerous and people are flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your psyker there fighting on the battlefield with you. And the next thing you know, a demon is standing next to you and everything's gone to hell. Um I understand their distrust of needing the psychers, but with the Ogrens and the Ratlings, I'm like, y'all need to get over yourselves. They are still human adjacent. Like, it's not like you're working with the Crute. Like, I understand. Again, if you were working with the Crute, 
or an well, orc. Yes. I mean, honestly, like the whole the Herbo's flashback, like in the in the beginning when they're all like disgusted, I was like, what? I don't understand. What's what's the problem here? And it really took me a while to for it to click. And I was like, of all the things for you guys to be prejudiced against, it's that really <laughs> like, OK, like, OK, um. Humans, uh, you're just one species in the world. You've already declared war on like everybody else. So maybe be kind to the other human species. You want to call them abhuman, whatever. The subhuman what species. Like we're all still like human, right? I mean, it's just, uh, it's like, oh, okay. So I almost kind of felt like I was... Um, reading my first x-men comic and you realize it's a you know it's it's a uh words are hard but it's basically a veiled you know um analogy of, of racism right that was the whole one of the whole things with with the x-men so like okay so now i i when that dawns on you you're like oh okay i i kind of i see that and that's a really interesting way of putting it so we have this I'm like everything else in the universe you guys are seriously just looking for shit to pick at to get irritated with pretty much and it's hard to say because like we don't have a real life equivalent of that like i guess it would be like if um like if there was a country where like neanderthal still walked around or like cro magnon i mean like or, or is like he, or is he i kind of imagine ogren's looking like um from the goonies help me here Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Wow, we are both batting a thousand tonight. Yeah. But yeah, kind of like that. Chunk or and... Oh my god. I want to say started with an L. I honestly can't remember. It's a famous football player who plays them. Um, it'll come to me in a second. But... Yeah, you're right. Like, maybe something like that or, like, the traditional, um, when we look at, like, the uh, the traditional fantasy races, I picture them kind of looking like giants or ogres from that, which are always just a little more, like, like, if you've ever seen drawings of what they think um, Neanderthal looked like, mm -hmm. kind of like that. Much heavier bone structure, much, frankly, dumber looking, right? Like, I picture them looking pretty... Like gorillas, almost? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, like something that's not quite human, right? But we don't mm -hmm. we don't have anything like that. Sloth. Um, sloth is his name. Yes, <laughs> I literally go. just popped in there. I had the L. I was. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> you did. Sloth and Chunk are friends. Um. Jeez, I was actually even gonna go and look it up on my phone, and then it just popped in there. Um, sloth. Um, but yes, I, I kind of picture it looking like that. And it's hard to say because, yeah, that's different. Mm -hmm. But again, like the Elgrin, do, do you need to have something that has a sturdy strength out on the battlefield? Like they use them as bodyguards. They use them as brute force labor, right? Um, these are, they serve a vital purpose. Like you don't have to invite it in and be best friends with it. But yeah, you're right. Like. 
it reminded me that scene with her bow prong fork reminded me of Ratatouille, but that was a literal rat. That was a, that was a literal rat controlling a human. Um, this is, I mean, it's again they're human. I am going to just have it. I'm going to die on the inside if that's actually. Kind of what he was basing, like the whole idea of him being a provisioner on was Ratatouille because the ratlings. I, I will die a little bit inside. Over well, I that. think that's definitely what it was, which cracked me up. And all I could think of, because we just saw um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. But when she was talking about Ratatouille, that's all I could think of when <laughs> this book. Um, but it's also, it reminded me of the end. I, it just made me so sad when you see what happened to Herbo because of the Anton Ego speech, right? Where he's like, sometimes you can have something amazing from an unlikely source. Like, can you guys step back for one second and be like, well, damn, that was the best meal I've ever had. But no, no, you guys are all dicks. And yeah, for reasons I don't understand. No, like I, I don't understand either. I mean, it wasn't like he was making it with his feet because their, their feet sounded pretty darn gross. I'm not going to lie, but I just think feet are gross. They're like and, hobbits. Yeah, but I think feet are gross in general to begin with. Um, That's fair. Uh, so, yeah, I... And honestly, if it's about being sanitary, I mean, please. <laughs> Everything else going on in the Imperium, like, I don't... I guess maybe I, think, I maybe I've read too much um, Death Guard novels because you know I can you know that's my idea of like unsanitary. So I can't imagine this one rattling bringing anything close to that. Um, yeah, maybe just, they uh, know that they have a penchant for finding ingredient adjacent stuff. I don't know. Like, cause remember I, when he talks about. When Baggett's like, oh, yeah, man, they can find anything on a ship and make anything out of anything. But still, like, I guess add this to the many myriad of reasons I'm glad I don't live in the Warhammer 40k universe. Yeah, it really wasn't until this that I even knew that we had, like, space hobbits. Like, I knew I heard of the Augurans, mm -hmm. but I never heard, heard of the Rattlings before. They typically, I'd seen them in necromunda and then in a couple imperial guard short stories um they're not well liked they're very um <laughs> they're like they're more like um what's the word i'm looking for from um gnomes they're more like gnomes in that they're very uh handsy like definitely check your pockets after they go through your regiment type sort of thing right um they're mischievous a little bit. They're, they're, I mean, they well, have to probably be because they're treated like crap. Maybe if I treated them more nicely, <laughs> they wouldn't be pocketing your stuff when they came on by. Exactly. It's, it, exactly. it's just a thought, you know, it's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Oh my God, 100%. But all right, so we've kind of transitioned over. Like, let's talk about really quickly about his revenge, like the whole arc that happens to him. What did you think of? What did you think of how he gets revenge? What did you think of it? Was the cost too high? Um, yes. Just for the fact that an entire void ship was lost. That's 25,000 innocent people, including abhumans, that had nothing to do with any of this. Like, I understand you wanting to, to take revenge on this guy. Obviously, like, I'm never going to, I mean, I'm, I've never been a, uh, to, to kind, a time to kill um, advocate about that. But I understand the need for uh, revenge like you were humiliated and I understand that you, you want to do something about it 
But did it have to be like this? Did you have to make him go crazy to the point he was like bringing everybody else down with him? Like, why couldn't your revenge just been on him? Really, all he had to do was, you know, leave that data slate that you're never going to find this. And that would have tortured him to the end of his end of days. And that would have been Pretty it. Much. But again, it goes back to that theme of like, he does that. And then he's just like, no, no, I need more. All I could think and for about what? was... And for what? So he could be like alone the rest of his life? Had to be in hiding? Because everyone thinks he's dead? Right. Well, and like, and that he... was kind of funny because at the beginning when they find his data slate and his thing, I was like, mm, that's not him because they had already established that those guys had all been crushed when he was still running around. So I was like, well, yeah, we know that's not him. But then once you figure out what he did, all I could think about was the Godfather. So the opening 10 minutes of that movie, like the finest in all of cinematic history, fight me. But when he's talking with the guy, with the um, Undertaker, right? And the Undertaker tells him what he wants. And um, Vito Corleone is like, that is not justice. Your daughter is still alive, right? Like you want vengeance. I, I can offer you justice, right? And he has two guys go beat the hell out of those guys, which is a propo, right? Maybe I could understand tormenting him with the radio like he was so that he could hear him laughing and then like running around on top of like the um, the vents because remember he talks about seeing his face through the vent like, okay, that kind of stuff's all precocious. He's never going to find his artifact and mm -hmm. you're kind of haunting him. But yeah, the, the poison on top of it, making him hallucinate. You, you killed, not only do you kill this man, right? You kill 25,000 people and then God knows what else on the ship because everybody on the ship is so distracted by the captain's well-being. Mm -hmm. And they're all very concerned for him. Like, oh for, my God, can you even imagine? You know, like, I mean, this guy is now thinking that something is coming out of his stomach and they're like, there's nothing there. And he's like tearing at himself. I mean, that's, that'd be horrible to, to witness. Um, Maybe because I just had a surgery, but like that scene was like super triggering to me. I was like, no. And then I had to remember, I was like, no, wait, it's fake. I know it's fake. But that idea of right, like, right. looking down and thinking, uh -huh. You know, and for everything, you know, um, that Baggett was, had said, you know, about, you know, that, you know, they get tired of Humes as, as well. And they understand the need for revenge. Even he was like, okay, killing 25,000 innocent people is way too far. Like, that's not the same thing as, you know, yes. crapping in some guy's hat. Well, and I did like when he kind of realizes that he has that realization of, oh, no, like, that's what that leads you to. And when you think about Herbo's whole arc, right? Yeah, everybody thinks you're dead and he dies covered in shit. You die hiding out like that had to have been an excruciating death. Starving to death, that... dehydrating one of, the, you know, just <sighs> no, especially again. You're not just starving to death and dehydrating, which sounds miserable in and of itself. I can't even imagine. It, and the fact that it's self-inflicted, it's not like, like the, the amount of hatred and the brain space, like where he was in his life that he was like, worth it. What? Yeah. While holding on to this recording. Very tightly. Which is like his gem. My precious. That's all I could think about was like him and i'm trying to again trying to imagine where your head has to be and again literally covered in shit 
where your if head you has to be the, just to be think that I'll just go hide in the shit pipe. <laughs> I am. You were again. You were in the actual bowels of the ship. To, you know, what the Death Guard would have ejected onto the Mechanicus. Um, that you're in the bowels of this ship, which is disgusting. You're starving. You're dehydrating. But you, by God, you've got your revenge, and you have the vic. You have the picked quarter. The voc. What do they call it? It was like a vid quarter or something like that. To prove it. I cannot imagine that. Maybe I'm very privileged and fortunate in life that I can't imagine that type of hatred. No, I, I, I can't either. Like, you've won, but at what cost was all I could think. And the cost was 20. And I did like that Baggett. I was a little worried. When they reveal what happens to the ship, I was kind of worried that Baggett was going to be like, Good. But again, he ha- he is the hooker with the heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Who, no, that's, again, all I could think of was Vito Corleone. Like, you didn't die. Yes, what happened to you was terrible. You could have gotten revenge in another way, as you said. Just hiding that in a place that they're never going to look, which is brilliant, by the way. You've won. Right. You have absolutely won. All I could think of was at the end of Heat when Robert De Niro was like, he has the way to get away, but then he just can't let it go that that guy killed his friend. He just can't let that go. Dude, let it go. That's all you had to do. But then the movie has to happen. Well, that's at the very end of the movie, and then it makes it all sad. And then I get all bummed. Spoilers. Exactly. I'll go ahead and get all the way off your back about that. Fine. Um, Because I'm never going to watch that movie now. Love that movie. You I've never seen it. What? I shouldn't be surprised, and yet every time I am. <laughs> and yet you just spoiled the end for me. Not really. Hmm. Um, but anyways, um, I've yeah, seen the horse was... head part, but that's it. Huh? I've seen the horse head part. I've seen Godfather, not in Heat, silly girl. I said I was talking about Godfather. I said never seen Godfather. Oh, no, Heat. Oh, I've never seen that either. <laughs> Friendship is magic and friends are a blessing. <laughs> just like teenagers. <laughs> he just compared me so, to a teenager. That's just wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. What did you think? What did you think of Baggett and Claude, like, as people, as a partner? Like, I feel like we get to know them way better in this book than we did, obviously, in the, the audio drama. Oh, I like them as, as a team. They're fun. They're a lot of fun. Oh, my God. They're so much fun. And I like that they have this, like, brotherly relationship, mm-hmm. right? That, like, funny enough, Baggett Very seems inv- to look as Claude as his little brother. So what's really funny to me... Um, I actually took a screenshot. I meant to send this to you. But, you know, after listening to the um, audio drama, I was thinking to myself, like, man, this is like so very of mice and men. And uh, as I was uh, picking out my next uh, Horace Heresy book on Audible to listen to, it had, since you listened to Drudge Runners, we recommend of mice and men. And I had a really good laugh about that. But... (laughs) That is super funny, even though, um, (laughs) even though, um, I feel as though Claude 
is definitely more cognizant than oh, Lenny. Yeah. Oh, he's not like 100% Lenny. He's not asking to tell me about the rabbits, George, but they have that relationship where it's, you know, that they, um, you know, the baguette won't leave him. You know, it was one thing no. that, um, remember the main character's name? George, duh, I just said it. I'm stupid. It's It's been a week. Uh, you know, where George tells uh, the old the old ranch hand, he's like, I'm not going to let them hurt Lenny. And he didn't. Yeah. He didn't let them hurt Lenny. And that's how I see really with uh, with Baggin and Claude. He's like, well, I'm, he's like, I can't leave him. Like, we're in this t- together, you know. Well, and when he leaves, he tells Roz, right, get him out of here. Right. And take care of him. Right. Like, that's always his. But then Claude think- refuses to leave. Right. He's like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for him to vox us. He doesn't have a vox caster. Well, I guess we'll be waiting here for a while. Yes. Yeah, just... their, their friendship is... So, on one hand, I feel like Baggett looks at him like as a son or as a little brother. Like, I have to protect this person because he recognizes, right, that Claude is not the sharpest knife. Mm-hmm. And he has to protect him. But I do also like that Claude... It's, it is kind of like a little brother, but he also kind of every now and then steps into that big brother role of, yeah, you don't, I'm not leaving you. Like, mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. I'm not leaving because I'm going to stay here for you. It's up to him to also make sure that Baggett gets out all right. Right. And I do like when Roz is like, do you understand that like we'll get caught? And he's just like, then I guess we'll get caught. Like, very zen about that because he's not leaving his friend. Mm-hmm. I like I like the loyalty and I do they kind of imply because remember there's that scene when Baggett talks about when he like um, Claude is like don't leave me and Baggett flashes to that first time when Claude was like don't leave me I kind of don't want to know that story but I also kind of do right for what got them to this relationship but I also you know there's something kind of nice about not knowing what it is because in your mind can just kind of fill the blanks but I love them as partners. I like the brains and the brawn, right? Right, but you know, at the same time, the brawn's got really interesting outlook on things. Oh my gosh, my favorite—the scene which I knew I knew I was going to love Claude—is actually from that Dredge Runners, and it's when the guys are talking to him mm-hmm. in the very beginning, and he's kind of thinking, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm trying to figure out." If it's my genetic disposition towards violence that's making me want to hurt you. <laughs> that whole worldview. And I do like that he is sharper than he realizes, right? Like when he mm-hmm. talks about like, oh, he is Miss Roz. Not just like the brain adult of like, you know, these giant philosophical things. But he right. does understand people pretty well. Well, I mean, there's even that whole thing with um, when Baggett is looking through all of the, the portraits. You know, mm-hmm. and Roz is just like, what does it matter? He's been disgraced. And and Claude is just like, yeah, but they're not going to have that be public, are they? Like, they got to have everything yeah. be prim and proper. Like, he just gets it. He has a little more understanding than I think even he gives himself credit for. Oh, he has a more understanding about a lot of things more than he gives himself credit for. Because he always falls back to, it's just a shame I'm an idiot. Right. Which at one point is like... I can't tell if you're doing that on purpose or just to be funny or if that's just really how you feel. I mean, it's funny either way, but 
I think it's how it really feels. I think he has these observations because you kind of see that like when he's thinking of the painting, right? He mm. starts to go down that path, but then he doesn't really know what that means or how to like apply it to the wider picture. And I feel like, I think he's probably getting frustrated inside and is just like, oh, I guess I'm just an idiot, right? It's very funny, but I do think he means it. I think that he has this frustration. Like, you know, when you're trying, like just now when we were looking for Sloth's name, <laughs> when like it's right there, but you can't call it how very frustrating that is. I feel like that's probably most of his life. So when he's like, I have this... I understand something, but I don't fully understand it. Yeah, honestly, the whole thing with the painting it kind of reminded me of um, Mass Effect 3, the Citadel DLC. If you have Zaid at the party at your apartment, and depending which way that you do the party, at one point he's looking at a painting with um, Samara, and he goes in this really deep thing about the colors and the brush strokes and everything, and she's just like, it's just a painting. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot of that. Just like you don't expect like this mercenary to have such deep insight into a painting. Same thing with the right. Hogren. <laughs> well, and in that, I always loved that scene because Zaid was one of my favorite characters, but um, of the minor characters. But um, it also, in that one little piece of dialogue, it tells you so much about him. <laughs> 100%. Like now you have just seen a side of him and learned something about him that you did not guess. Actually, that was probably the best part about that Citadel DLC. Those little liners like that that made you see a different side to each one of the characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say that that art piece was also kind of Claude's little moment there when you get to see not only how his brain moves mm -hmm. and works, but that there is... He does try to think, too. Like, yeah. He is trying. I, I still loved when Roz was like, well, we've got time. Why don't you, why don't you hit me with your philosophy? Because we also don't get to see the payoff of that. I like, know. I was like, well, I wanted to hear the philosophy, but okay. Because it's, you know, more fun not knowing, I suppose. Right. I just had pictures of her just like slowly but surely being like, oh, <laughs> the whole time. Which did crack me up. Either that or like a scene from Airplane when he's telling his life story <laughs> to the people oh, next to him oh and they hold on. <laughs> like hanging herself. <laughs> She'd be the guy who's like pouring the gasoline over and about to light the match. <laughs> right. I genuinely liked Roz too. I didn't think I was going to like her in the beginning, but by the end when you realize that she's just baggage, she just hasn't been off the world. Right? Mm -hmm. So her, her worldview is much more focused and micro as opposed to macro and she doesn't like again with the an elderly what um but she also too there's there's real affection there for baggett and there's real affection there for claude right and she's not again not a bad guy she's a bad guy but she's not a bad guy right well you know and i actually like that baggett admitted he was petty oh my god yes like, I, I actually did not see that coming. Like, that was the big reason, was that he was petty. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I did not see that either. And, like, I guess I know that I knew that he had self-awareness because, you know, he's been in the guard, right? I didn't see him having that level of self-awareness to be like, yeah, no, I was, I'm just being petty right now. I was jealous. Oh. <laughs> I felt like everybody else in the room was like, Okay. 
Like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> like, I don't know how to respond to it, because like, even Ross is kind of like... Like, I was prepared for a fight, but you just admitted that you were being a dick, so I don't know what to say. It just kind of took all the wind out. <laughs> yeah, it makes it hard, and it kind of makes it less fun. <laughs> but I did... Yeah, I love that he was able to say that. Again, just two very fascinating, very multi-layered characters. I guess three for counting Roz in that mix. Very interesting. Did not feel... None of them felt flat, which I loved. Were uh, you... And I, I kind of... Sorry, go on ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say I really liked that at the end she didn't stay with him. I actually thought that was great when she's like, yeah, I need to... I need some I need me time. Like, <laughs> yeah, I need some me time. And then I'll come back. Because you get the impression that she's going to be back. Right. She just wants she to just... do something on her own without being on somebody else's payroll or somebody else's whims or beholden to somebody else's scheming right Right. no i love that was great too i thought that was very satisfying again she'll be back she just needs some space were you satisfied with the ending yes and no tell me more um i think it was fitting that nobody ended up with the wraithbone phoenix but at the same time I think I would have been much happier if Death was able to escape with it. Just let it go go back to the Eldar. It just seems kind of a literal waste <laughs> of what happened to it. Yes, and like, it just reminded me of that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where top men, like, similar to the Ark, the Wraithbone Phoenix is so dangerous. It needed to go bye-bye. And I kind of like the idea that after all of this, after all these hands that have touched it, after all these people who have searched for it, it's just going to go on to being another urban legend, essentially. Mm -hmm. What happened to it? And Eldari got off world with it. And the idea of it being in the sludge, I mean, that's somebody's going to find it there just as soon as they're going to find it in some unmarked in an unmarked warehouse. I I felt so bad for death, though. But I did and didn't. Because <laughs> I did, yeah, I did and did not. I was like, well, that, that, that sucks. Like, that's a terrible way to go. Very, but I was also kind of like, you know what? You, you kind of got what you deserved. Much you like would... the guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. You kind of got what you deserved. You would think, as an Eldar, Eldari... You would know that looking into Wraithbone is a bad idea. Yes, and yet, similar to the Ark, you've spent so long looking for this. You have done terrible things. Like, the death count for her. I mean, she calls herself death. I can't imagine it's because she's been super friendly and just killed a couple of people. Yeah, but you know, so far, but in the whole book, though, did she kill anyone that innocent? Not really. No. No, not really. Not that we I saw it at any rate. She killed that was it Rivos? Ravos? I mean, oh, talk about a menace to society. That. Yeah, that thing was I, terrifying. I did find it funny that all the Vargantuans are taking bets in the streets. <laughs> oh my god. I love that that's the level of that's the level of callousness. Right. They're just like, oh yeah, let's start getting some money going here. <laughs> oh, but it must be a Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I did also like that everybody kind of knew about that guy. 
Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, crap. Someone let Ravos out. Well, place your bets, people. Place your bets. (laughs) Pretty much, right? Like, somebody just let out a 500-pound gorilla. Who's who's taking bets? Who's taking bets? That was wild. But, yeah, she kills him. She kills... I mean, everybody that she kills is more or less involved in this, right? She kills the cultists. Like, most of the cultists. Like, all the the weird phoenix cultists. Um... Who also deserved it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that she was killing innocent people, but she did still kill a lot of people Mm -hmm. to get to this thing. And I like that she looks at it and she's like, okay, cool, I've got it. And there's just that moment, right? Again, not to draw too many parallels to the arc, but there's that, I should really look at this. Like, I should really check this thing out. And the second she starts talking about the eyes and how they look, I was like, I felt like Willy Wonka. Like, no, stop, don't. <laughs> and then it, it's a horrible way to go. Like, I feel so bad for her, too, on that same line. Because, well, <laughs> how well, how was it? Was it everything that you hoped it would be and more? Do you like being trapped in Wraithbone? Is this really what you wanted for your rest of your existence? Oh. Was your soul to be trapped in Wraithbone? Now in Sludge? Yeah. Like and now you're like at the bottom of the this the sludge that'll eventually go out to the ocean and you'll fall in the bottom and you can picture like two hundred years from now somebody finally going and like trawling the ocean and they pick this thing up, right? And they're like, Oh, what's this? And then basically this new story starts with new people looking for this thing. But there's a reason why it was in a null casket. Just Yeah. 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 I um but I did again I You've spent, as you said, though, like, you get a Wraithbone object, you're all Dari, and you weren't like, ah, that'll be fine. I guess you wonder what happened to original Carver, though. Um, I did like when she's holding it, and she's like, oh, I can see this thing being carved, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's probably not good either, Pumpkin. Because I would bag. imagine it would have to have been a human, just because of the... You know, those the Terran mythology of the Fink, the Finks, the Phoenix. But only the Eldari can really mold Wraithbone. Um, the question is, did we, because if you think about how old the Eldari race is, did we steal the Phoenix from them or did they steal the Phoenix from us? Oh, good question. To quote Christopher Plummer in uh, Star Trek VI, Shakespeare is enjoyed in his original Klingon. Like, who, from whom do we steal this? Um, I did like that even, like, in the beginning when they're talking about the phoenix, how it's like, oh, yes, it was from, like, ancient Terran mythology. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) You're starting to border on heresy here. Um, And, yeah. I love that you can't even discuss about past stuff without calling it heresy. Pretty much, yeah. Anything we don't like or that makes us feel vaguely uncomfortable is heresy. Well, because maybe someone wants to study it. And then maybe understand the mythology a little bit more and then maybe they might believe it a whole lot of what ifs whole lot of what ifs and um, but why worry about something that's never going to happen print that on their money mm-hmm. <laughs> i bet so, that is on their money to be honest on their slate uh, probably is um so baggett claude and Roz. assuming Roz comes back to the group he stole a whole bunch of stuff from the dude um, they have money. Which I find they funny. They have the means. 
on that that whole scene was brilliant. He's like, I'd come around with my hands in my pockets and be like, hey, how did that work out for you? You don't have to be a jerk about it. (laughs) (laughs) That whole whole scene was phenomenal. Um, And especially, and I loved his conversation with death when he's just like, please don't kill my friends. Just this is just between you and me. Absolutely loved that, too. Um, But where did they go from here? Just more wacky adventures. More dredge running. More just, yeah, more. Just more of the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you excited for another Baggett and Claude story? I'm assuming there's going to be one since it says right here, a Baggett and Claude novel that makes it. You're going to put something like that on there. It says it's going to be a series of some sort, even if it, even if it means more um, audio dramas. There's a question. Do you want more book or more audio drama? I think audio drama, honestly. I think so, too. I do like how well his style lended to prose. Um, but God, those, those audio dramas are top notch. And if you haven't listened to his horror ones, cannot recommend them enough. They're very much the same. That high production value. They're done audio drama style as opposed to audio novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a radio show. Um, especially Watcher in the Rain. That one's twisted. Um, love that yeah, one. Yeah, because this but, I could almost see be kind of like a podcast audio drama series. Yeah, kind of like, um, like the Homecoming. Wolver- the Wolverine one that you and I Ooh, listened yeah. to. Oh, God. That season one of that Wolverine one was amazing. Or like um, um, Halo. Homecoming. So Halo did a couple of them, too, that were oh, nice. phenomenal to bet to bet the game that were right before sucked but that's not the point the point is like those audio dramas it was like two seasons long and they were really really good and i could see this kind of being something like that pretty much so and i could actually see um if anyone here listens to the magnus archives i could easily see them doing something like that where it's like a a news report of some crime that goes on in varangantua right um that would be very fun um no, I'm I'm excited for more Baggett Claude. I really enjoyed it. It was light. It was somewhat fluffy. Good heist fil- film. Good heist story. It checked all my boxes. So I was very, very pleased with that. And I'm excited for another one. Um, I am cautiously optimistic for our next book, um, which is going to be a little bit more action. And it's been, well, probably since Double Eagle, since I last read an Aeronautica Imperialis book. I have never read one. Outgunned by Denny Flowers. New writer. Or at least new to us. New to us, yeah. Well, I read um, that book that he wrote in the uh, Necromunda, and I can't think of the name of it right now. Okay, well, new to me, then. I'm curious to read about, you know, Red Baron in space. Well, that one's uh, that one's double eagle. This one has orcs and aeronautica imperialis. I don't know if one book can handle that much DACA. It's gonna try. There's gonna be a lot of shooty bits. I'm very excited. I mean, it won't one. be fun when a rock appears. <laughs> those are always fun. Oh my god, I love those so much. Um, Honestly, yes. the first time I ever read one where one of those appeared, I think I laughed very hard for a few few minutes because the whole idea of that and what it would look like. 
Well, and what's going to be interesting, because we've talked about this a lot. Um, I think this is turned, told from first person. So <laughs> hmm. this is going to be less funny orcs and more scary orcs. Uh, yes, it is in first person. Excellent. Well, then. Well, hmm. I have mixed feelings about that. And that's just because I'm not a huge uh, first person fan. Generally, I prefer third person omniscient. Or even yeah. third, or even third I, I'll, I'll even take third person limited, but I prefer third person omniscient. I just like, I like being able to get um, the point of view from multiple people. That it's definitely an easier narrative structure. Especially when there's orcs, because I always like reading stuff from their from their perspective as well. So that makes it hard because the orcs are always so much fun. Um, but this will be interesting to see them as actual scary villains. It just a whole bunch of people dive bombing you. Although the scar on her mouth really bothers me. I keep looking at this. Reminds me of the Joker from Dark Knight. Oh, it reminds me of the name of, I cannot think of that name of his a that actor. Uh, he's in Gladiator, and he was in, uh, he was in Sons of Anarchy, the Irish guy. Oh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, 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 I, I see his face, but I can't remember his name. Yes, because that's, that's actually his scar. Yeah, he was, um, he was also in Braveheart. That was his very yes. first role, was Braveheart. Yes, he was. Um, that's what it reminds me of. I looked at her, and I was like, oh, hello, it's that dude. The dude with the real scar. Um, yeah, I, well, she does look like a, an Imperial recruiting poster, though, so that should be pretty yeah. neat. Apologies, I cannot shake this cough. It's driving me bonkers. Coming back. But, yeah, that should be a good one to follow up, I think. And then if anybody's been paying attention to the Black Library site, they just released uh, a whole list of new stuff, including... Hellbricked, which we've been sitting on until that comes out. So lots of cool stuff to look forward to in the next couple of months. Now we, in the meantime, what did we order recently? Just last week. Should be coming in like the time we get finished reading this one. Just bought it last weekend. And it wasn't Mortarian. I bought Mortarian, but. Yeah. Oh, oh, we bought the um, Gary Queen Elizabeth. Um, oh, yes. The Sabathiel. Sabathiel. Yes. That's the one we got. So that's yes. also coming soon. And yeah. that came out in hardback, too. So we'll get to read that one. We've got all kinds of stuff. Um, really excited for the next couple of months. I think we're going to be in good shape. Yeah, it makes me glad that we like got Ariman stuff out of the way. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. In the meantime, you want to take us out, Carrie? I guess that I will sure thing. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding the Wraithbone Phoenix by Alec Worley. Be sure to join us next time for Outgunned by Denny Flowers. I keep wanting to say like Outgunned and Outorked. Oh, that would have been good. Outdacked? Uh, Outdacked? Oh, that would have been, been good too. Well, I think that might be your variable line. I think so. <laughs> Outdacked. Anyway, we... <laughs> Now you guys have an insight into our thought process for the variable lines. They actually go just like that. Um, so we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. 
If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay well and read from McCrag. I am still Alfarious, although this peach white tea is just lovely. I've definitely been having a, uh, I've been trying to uh, tamper my inner Lotara lately, so when life gives you lemons, blood for the blood god. This is good advice. It's just good advice. I mean, really. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.